You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, you can sit down if you want to. I think I want to stay standing and sing some more. That was awesome. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you all for being out this morning and coming in enthused and ready to worship God. We've often said that our time together on the weekend, right, is the result of a week ahead of that worshiping and praising him. And what a great opportunity we've had this morning to do that. In fact, I love it that I was walking in and one of our families was walking out. I'm like, where are you going? And they said, the seats are taken up front. And I said, well, come on, we'll make more room. I love it that we're fighting to get to the front these days. I, uh, the thing I like about the most is I can sing until I feel like I'm going to pass out up here and I can't hear myself because everybody's singing behind me. And the thing about sitting in the back is all you hear is yourself and that's scary. So I really like it. You guys are up front. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Last week, Brandon did a great job taking us through bring us up to date with the reality of where the nation of God was at. Remember where they were at? They were in Egypt. This nation that God is building, that he promised to to have through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Through Joseph's journey, we talked uh, two weeks ago. And now last week, we find that God has chosen a man by the name of Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Well, what happened? Why does he need someone to lead them out? Well, what happened is, remember Joseph, and you remember how he had Pharaoh's favor. And in fact, Joseph became second in command, all by God's plan and all by God's will. Well, time went by. Time went by, and the Pharaoh and the Egyptians forgot. They forgot what the God of the Hebrews had done in providing food during famine and time of need. And now they look at all of these Hebrews and they feel threatened by them. And so they put them under their hand in slavery. And for 400 years, God's people would serve as slaves to the Egyptians. Now, how many times have we felt like God has just stepped away for a while. Uh, sometimes, uh, if you're like me, you, you realize he had every right to step away. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be around me, let alone him. I can't imagine why he would want to be around me. But they felt that way. But nothing was uh, more false than that because God was right there with them. In fact, God had told them that this would be hundreds of years earlier when he sat down Abraham and he told him, you're going to be the father of this great nation. Remember, a darkness came over Abraham and he and he heard the Lord tell him these words. He said, know for certain, Abraham, that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. He even gets specific here and says for 400 years. 
but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Now this week in your reading, if you've been following along, and I love the comments that you're making and the questions that you're asking, we're going to answer a couple of those questions this weekend, but you, in your reading you see that the time came when God chose Moses to go in and speak to Pharaoh. And his message for Pharaoh was simple, let my people go. And along with that command came 10 plagues, 10 awful plagues that were there for a couple of purposes. And that's what we're going to get to this morning as we look at the 10th and final plague. But before we do, I want to answer one of the questions that came up this week, because one of the things that we read this week is God unleashed each plague on Egypt is that the heart of Pharaoh became hardened. It goes on to say that not only was his heart hardened by his own actions, by his own rejection of the God of the Bible, but that the Lord actually hardened his heart. And you say, what? About the time, and you read along with me, right? About that eighth or ninth plague, Pharaoh's heart had been hardened all along, and now God hardens his heart. And we say, why, Lord? Just about the time Pharaoh would be ready to release the people. In fact, he'd say, go on, get out of here. So these plagues will go away. The Lord would harden his heart. Well, there are a couple of reasons for this that Scripture gives us if we're paying attention. And the first is this, is that when Moses approached Pharaoh with God's demand that he let the people go, that he let them not only go and worship them, but that he released them from slavery, Pharaoh said this in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? You know what? I've heard something similar to that just in the last couple of weeks. I hear it from Washington, D.C. I hear it from our teenagers who are convinced that they get to choose their gender as they grow older. I hear it from Christians who say, no, you got it wrong. I'm too busy this week. I'll get back to you on that. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord and neither will I let Israel go. And so one of the first reasons why God went ahead and hardened Pharaoh's heart is that Pharaoh was an evil man. His heart was already hardened by the evil that he had committed. Don't you forget that Pharaoh had killed the Hebrew boys, right? Trying to do away with this growing nation. Don't you forget that he ruled over these slaves. And when they did speak up, he took away their help. And so not only now were they making bricks, but they were, they were going out and having to get their own straw and make their own mud for these bricks. The plagues, as terrible as they were, and God further hardening Pharaoh's heart actually demonstrates God's mercy, if you think about it. 
How many times today have we said to those who reject God's authority, I don't know, God, why you don't just strike them down. Smoke them right here, right? Some of you prayed that for your in-laws. It would have been a perfectly just penalty for what Pharaoh and the Egyptians have done, yet God chose, God chose to make himself known through these plagues. It's just like the challenges that come in your life and mine today. God doesn't do it to punish you. God allows things to happen around you so that you will turn to him while you still have time. That's the first reason. Second reason I believe God hardened Pharaoh's heart further is that every plague that God sent was a direct assault against the little G gods the Egyptians worship. Every one of those plagues, as crazy as they were, from gnats to frogs to the bloody river Nile, Every one of those confronted these little G-gods, the God of the weather, the God of uh, fertility, the God of crops, the God of childbirth, the God of the river, the God of the sun. Each one of these were directly confronted for the no power that they have gods. Exactly who they were, that they were false. And with every denial of this reality, my friends, Pharaoh's heart became hardened until God had had enough. And what he did here was the same thing that he has done today with people who reject him, is he turned Pharaoh over to his own hardened heart. And so when it says God hardened his heart, that's what he's doing. Go home today and read Romans chapter 1, because Romans chapter 1 speaks to what's going on around us this very day. And that is that all of creation shouts to the existence of God. There is no excuse for anyone, anyone to deny God's existence. The Bible says that he has made it clear. But man, man has turned to his own wicked ways. He has hardened his own heart and he has rejected God. And so God says, that's what you want. That's what you can have. And he's turned us over to these things. And the fire of hell is waiting for us on the other side. Let's stand together with your Bibles in your hand and let's read beginning in chapter 12 how God would demonstrate to his people that the wages of sin is death, but God would provide a way for us to be saved. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Now just kind of hang on to that, make a little mental note there. Why is God setting this time aside? We're going to get to that in just a moment. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And verses 3 and 4 talk about different size households and how they can share a lamb, etc. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep, or if you can't afford sheep, you can take them from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. 
Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animals. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw. Do not eat the meat cooked in water. But praise God, roasted over the fire. I hate boiled food. <laughs> Head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. These young girls, I told them last night, they're not the first to tuck the front of their shirt in and leave the back out, right? <laughs> Happened hundreds of years, thousands of years ago. God decided that. Staff in your hand, right? Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and women, and I will, both men and animals, excuse me, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt." You can be seated. Praise God for his word. Now, there are a number of connections that I believe the Lord makes to this account. They are connections that apply today as we answer this question, what is an acceptable sacrifice for your sins and mine? And so I want to lead you through this short chapter here, and I want to help us make some connections, and I hope that you will apply these things to your situation right now where you're at. Because I don't want one of you to leave today questioning whether or not your sins are covered. Because there is an answer. There is one acceptable sacrifice. And I'll just cut to the end. It's Jesus Christ. And so here's the first connection that God makes for us through this account. And that is that those in need of salvation are slaves. Those in need of salvation are slaves. Why is Israel in slavery? Because it sets the scene for us to understand the slavery that we are under to sin in our life. While the Israelites were literal slaves under a cruel taskmaster, their parents, their grandparents had been slaves as far back as they can remember. But there's something that you need to make note of. And that is the Israelites knew they were slaves. The Israelites knew their miserable condition as slaves. And they knew they needed deliverance from their bondage. And my question for you is, what about you? Have you come to that realization yet in your life that you have become a slave to something? We're all slaves to something. And that you need to be delivered from that slavery. Israel's literal condition as slaves was a picture of the universal human condition. We are all born in slavery to sin. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember Adam and Eve? 
And you remember the perfect relationship that they had with God. They could be in his literal presence. They could walk with him. They could talk with him. They could eat with him. But they gave themselves over. They gave themselves over to their own desires. And they went against God's will and plan for their life. And since that time, my friends, every one of us are infected by sin. No matter how good you think you are, Isaiah says that our goodness is but filthy rags in God's sight. Romans 3.23, you've heard it said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus would come along later and he would say, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's not just one and done, guys. It's not just, you know, I can cheat today and tomorrow I can put on my Sunday best. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. The problem is, is that many who are enslaved to sin don't realize their true condition. They may not be walking around in chains. They, they may not be uh, listening to the brutal slave driver yell at them to gather their quota of bricks made. They may not feel the lash of the slave driver's whip on their backs. Or do they? Don't we? Isn't that what we feel when we have an addiction? Is a chain? A chain, a cruel taskmaster. We do anything for the next high. Isn't it what any sin is, that no matter how good it feels at the beginning, we carry it around with us? We feel the weight of it, King David said, until I repented, until I confessed my sins. He said, they ate away at my bones. So many today carry that, yet for some slaves of sin, life just seems so good. What are you talking about, preacher man? I've got a comfortable home. I've got plenty to eat. I've got great toys. I don't look like a slave, do I? I don't feel like a slave. I don't need rescue. I don't need deliverance. I don't need salvation. I've got the freedom to run my own life. I'm not like you. I can spend my money however you want to. You have to give a tenth of it to God. I, I'm free from that. You're the one who's a slave. I can go to bed with whoever I want to. You, you're stuck with the same old woman. Here, God shows us clearly that the issue of slavery to sin, though, is life and death. Life and death. And this is what God does through this 10th plague and the blood of a blemish-free lamb or goat over the doorframe of the home of those who look to God for life. The provision for God's means of salvation. So many people say, why, why this crazy animal thing? I'll get to that in a minute. But it's his plan. And who am I to argue with God? God's provision, his plan for means of salvation is the blood of an acceptable sacrifice. And again, this takes us all the way back to the garden. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned, 
They were out. God was out walking in the cool of the day. Hey, Adam. Hey, Eve. Where are you? No answer. What were they doing? They were hidden out. They were ashamed because that's what sin brings. Sin brings shame. It's one of the first things that we feel after we realize that the party's over. So he says, where are you? They come out. They confess what they've done. It was all Eve's fault. She brought me the apple, Lord. I'm just a wimpy little man. Do whatever my wife says. And what did God do? He made the first animal sacrifice. An innocent, an innocent animal had to be slaughtered. Why? In order to cover their nakedness. In order to cover their sin. And he made clothing for them. And in this way, he made atonement for their sin. Note the connection to our need for a blood sacrifice for our sins. Look at verse 4. The lamb, the goat, needed to be sufficient for each person in each family. Why all the detail, right? Why worry about the size of the lamb and who needed to eat and who didn't? Because, listen, just because mom or grandma eats the lamb and does what God says, that does not take care of you and me. Salvation is individualized. You must participate. You decide yes or no. I'm going to follow God's plan or I'm not. You decide to have your sins covered or they're not. It's one or the other. And so God is very specific about this. He says that lamb is to be provided, is to be sufficient for each person in each family. Jesus would say, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. Mom and dad's role in your salvation is to show you by example what it is to live your life in obedience to Jesus Christ. Verse 5, the lamb was to be an unblemished male, a year old. Why pick on the year old males? Hebrews 7.26 describes Christ, our Passover lamb, who was blemish free. Listen to the description. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. You're going to read about this in the next couple of weeks as God establishes this plan for sacrifice, teaching us what lesson from all the way back in Garden of Eden is that sin brings death. Sin brings death. It brings the death of an innocent animal in this first generation of sacrifice. The priests, as you're going to read, would go into the tabernacle to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. The tabernacle, this tent that they carried with them as they traveled towards the promised land, was divided in half. The back half was where the Holy of Holies were. You were going to read about how God would descend on the tabernacle. And the only person who could go into that room would be the priest who had made sure that he had sacrificed not just for everyone else's sins, but for his own sin. Why? 
Because if he didn't, it's the whole reason why they would tie a rope to his waist before he went in, is if he had sin remaining on him, he would die right then and there in the presence of the Lord. That's how serious God takes this. But Jesus Christ, he sacrificed for the sins once for all when he offered himself. Verse 6. The lamb was to be selected on the 10th of the month, but not sacrificed until the 14th. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Jesus Christ, remember, was marked for death long before he was actually slain. 1 Peter 1.20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Verse 19 of 1 Peter Chapter 1, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Verse 7, the Israelites were to put some of the blood on the top and sides of the door frame to their home. Boy, just think, guys, if we brought home a deer and after gutting it, just take some of that blood and paint around the door frame. It would be so cool. Why that? Because when they walked through the door of that house, they were covered. They were surrounded by the blood of this blemish-free lamb. My friends, throughout the New Testament, it describes how we are covered by the blood of the blemish-free lamb, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Verse 8 they were to roast the lamb with fire and eat it that night along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Why a fire instead of boiling? Well, first of all, fire tastes a lot better. I'm with God on that. But the fire represented the reality that Jesus Christ, our true Passover lamb, he had to, man, he bore the heat for us. He went through the fire for us. Some would say even the fire of hell for us. Do we realize that, that when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do we really understand what happened at that moment? The reality of it, it's huge. He took all of our trash. He took all of our sin and he placed it on this blemish-free lamb, Jesus Christ, who had not sinned once, even though he was 100% man and 100% God. And he placed it all on him. And in that one moment, God had to turn his back on his sin-covered son because God will not stand in the presence of your sin or my sin. We must be covered by the blood. And in that moment, Jesus Christ felt what you and I deserve, and that is complete separation from God the Father. Why, God, have you forsaken me? He felt it. And we feel it too. We feel it too. The bitter herbs, of course, reminded them of the bitterness of the life of slavery, the life of sin that we've come from. And the unleavened bread, bread made without yeast, reminded them of the purity. We would go on and read in the New Testament about how just a little bit of the yeast goes a long way and the yeast of the Pharisees and, and how all of these things erase the purity 
Finally, in verse 1 and 2, why all the detail about the date? The Passover was to mark the beginning of the new year for Israel. Salvation by the application of Christ's blood, my friends, marks the beginning of new life for the believer. Jesus promised, God promised, that when he saw the blood on the doorposts of the Israelites' homes, he would pass over them and not strike down their firstborn. All who were under the blood would be safe. His salvation of Israel meant life for them. His judgment on Egypt meant death for them. And the same is true for us. John 3:36, whoever believes in the Son has life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So we're all slaves. We are born into this slavery to sin. God has put together a plan for us to be free from the bondage of sin. That plan is a blemish-free sacrifice, a blood sacrifice who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave his life for us. So in verse 21, Moses acts on God's command. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once, select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, it's that pretty stuff I think that women like to hang in the house. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. Don't test me in this, God says. Don't go in and out from underneath what he has done. Don't go back out into the sin-filled life. You stay covered by the blood. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. Obey. Obey. Why all of this detail? Because the application of God's means of salvation rests on obedient faith. Obedient faith. Think about it. All the detail. What was God looking for? To kill the lamb, to eat it in the prescribed manner, to put the blood on the top and side, but rain it in the house, remain in the house. What's he doing? He's saying, take me at my word. Only I can save you. You do what I've told you to do. Now let's say an Israelite said, well, this just doesn't make sense to me. I just don't see it. Don't see why we've got to do this. Okay. Firstborn, they wake up in the morning, firstborn's dead. And God was just in doing that. You say, oh, that's so cruel. No, it's not. God has told you, he has told us exactly what he's going to do, and he has told us exactly how we can avoid his wrath. It's up to us. Yeah, but I'm a vegan, and I believe in animal rights. 
I can't kill a lamb. And you say, that's so foolish. Just listen to some of the things that we say today. <laughs> Obedient faith takes God at his word and it acts on it. You know, James would later write something along the lines of faith without works is dead. Obedient faith takes God at his word and acts on it. If you go on and finish chapter 12, you see there that obedient faith is to be passed down to the next generation. It's our responsibility to demonstrate obedient faith to God. See, that's your role as a parent. You can't save your children, but you can sure as heck show them the one who saves them. And the best way to show them is through your obedient faith. You can't tell your kids to do one thing and then you do the complete opposite. It doesn't work. Verse 50, obedient faith delivers us from bondage. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions with their hands full of the Egyptians' riches, just as God had said it would be. It's the other thing that obedient faith, chapter 12, tells us does. Obedient faith, obedient faith results in God's provision. Where else, where else can a people be obedient and God blessed them by emptying the wallets of the Egyptian people who have been slaves over top of them and send them out, beg them to leave with all of their possessions. Let's go to chapter 14 as we wrap this up. Because what happens next is, is such a challenge for us. I think we understand the sacrifice and what it is that God wants. I think we understand it, but here's where the rub comes in. Chapter 14, verse 11. The Israelites have marched out by the millions, 1.6 to 2.6 million Israelites leave Egypt carrying all the stuff the next morning just as God promised. And they've got all their kids because they all stayed in the house. And they could hear the wails all the way from Pharaoh's house down to the Pharaoh's household servants who did not do what God commanded. And there was death in their family, adult death, child death. But here they are just days after seeing the miraculous things that God did. It says that they wanted to turn around and go back to Egypt as slaves again. <laughs> Why in the world after seeing all of that? Well, they felt the ground shake. They felt the ground shaking underneath their feet. Isn't it the same thing that happens to us? We start to feel the ground shake. You know, we're all fired up. We, we recognize the sacrifice. We receive him as Savior and Lord of our lives. And then all of a sudden, we get that health diagnosis. All of a sudden, something goes south with the kids, and they rebel in such a harsh way. All of a sudden, things break down, break down. And we want to go back. They felt the ground shaking. They felt the ground shake as all of Egypt pursued them and the path they were on led them to the edge of the Red Sea because that's what happens. 
That's what we feel like everything's closing in around us, that there's no way through, and so we might as well go back to where we were before. I've told you over and over again about my friend who was so drunk at times that he blacked out and would forget where he was at. I looked for him for a week one time only to be at his house when the taxi cab pulled up and out he came. He didn't know where his car was. He didn't know where his wallet was. He didn't know where his phone was. All he knew was that he woke up three days after tying one on and he was in the Louisville jail. And he told me, he said, I sabotage myself because I don't know how to live sober. And so he would continuously go back. In the Israelites, they wanted to go back. They found themselves up against this wall of water as far as the eye could see. And this is Sarah's favorite part of this passage. Moses commanded them in verse 13, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Why? Because the Lord will fight for you. In your faith, my friends, have you ever felt when you feel that ground shake and when you look around you and you're surrounded by a wall and you know that you just want to give up, you just want to go back, there's no fix in that relationship, there's no way that we're going to make it through this crisis, there's no way that cancer can be a good thing for my life. Have you ever stood still long enough to let God fight for you? You see, the majority of us won't. And we never get to witness that. I told a friend last night who was here, and I know he was here because he was struggling, because I very rarely see him. And he said, there's stuff going on. I can't tell you about it right now. And I said, well, my friend, I just think about Job tonight. Job who knew God. He was the righteous in all the earth. But at the end of losing everything and staying, standing firm, and his ground was shaken like you wouldn't believe. He said, now, he said, my eyes had seen, uh, my, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. The only way that you're going to see him move in your life is for you to stand firm and let him fight. Because he does and he will. He's been fighting for you since before creation when he was determined that Jesus Christ would be our once and for all sacrifice. God's means of salvation hasn't changed. The sacrifice of those innocent lambs and goats were what? They were just a foreshadow of what you and I know today to be Jesus Christ, who 2,000 years ago on the day of Passover came and he gave his one and only son, the blood of his one and only son, that you and I could receive forgiveness of sins. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. <laughs> the world's a filthy place. The world is filled with filthy people. And guess what? We're one of them. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are slaves to sin. So God, unlike any other little G God, he came himself he came himself 
to take on your and I's sin, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish like the slaves to sin do, but would find life. And not just life today, but everlasting life. Death in the grave is gone. The question is, have we obeyed his call to place our trust in him? If you have, then continue on, even when you feel the ground shake. But when you haven't, and if you haven't, then you need to choose to do so today. You only have the opportunity that God gives you to surrender your life to him. Some, some of you, it's mostly a lot of younger folks, but some of you adults have heard about the revival going on or what they call a revival at Asbury Theological Seminary. How, how many of you have made the trip down there to, to see what's going on, right? Now, how many, before you heard of what was going on, how many of you planned to go to little old Asbury Theological Seminary? Anybody have a plan to go before they heard about this? No. No, but we made plans to go because we heard. Anybody ever think about going down there and going in this beautiful chapel among other Christians who gather two or three times a week to worship God? Anybody make plans to do that? No, no, we didn't. My friends, Jesus Christ and what he has done he is doing and he offers to you today, right where you're at, what he is doing in the lives of those who first showed up that night and went beyond the normal experience of going in three days a week and having chapel service and worshiping God, having a nice message and then going back to the room. A few people decided to stay. And why did they stay? I don't know their hearts, but I do know some of the things that were going on around them, and that is that a whole church movement over the last couple of years has divided over whether this big denomination should follow the world's ways and approve of all of the things of the world and just incorporate those into their worship, or whether they should go back and align themselves with the word of God and repent of those things. And a few people decided that they would repent. And then a few more decided to repent. And a few more after that, and revival broke out. My friends, you may have come here today for a variety of reasons, to come be with a friend, to come hear good music, truly interested in this reading that we've been done, but you've got an opportunity right now you could just go home, rack it up as another great weekend at MCC, or you can repent. You can say, God, I have, I've been making up a God for, that I can be comfortable with. God, I've not really recognized the sacrifice that's acceptable to you. Oh, I've made sacrifices, but they're not what you wanted. This is our opportunity to do that. Verse 31 concludes, and when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, 
The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Put their trust in him. That's the invitation today. Let's stand and pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for coming for us just as you did your people in Egypt. Thank you for rescuing us from the taskmaster of sin when Jesus Christ took our sins, when he shed his blood, gave his innocent life for us on the cross. As sure as we stand here today, Lord, there are moments when in fear we sometimes go back to slavery instead of leaning into you. Some, Father, have accepted you but have never stepped out of slavery and claimed the freedom that you've given them through the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, may we remember all that you've done and the reality that you continue to fight for those who are obedient to you, that you can do the unthinkable, the unfathomable in our relationships, in our work, in our families, in our health, in our mindset, when we're obedient to your word. And so it's in Jesus' name that we offer you an acceptable sacrifice, maybe unlike any other before, as we worship you now. Come and receive him as Savior and Lord of your life. Come today and let's pray together about the conflict that you have in your life and your resistance to his acceptable sacrifice. We'd love to encourage you. Come as we sing. <clears throat>